Yo, welcome to episode two of Two Brothers. Steven, we made it. We're here for a second week. <laughs> I honestly didn't know. Oh my gosh. I honestly didn't know if we would have the motivation or the time to be able to do this, but I'm excited and I'm happy we're doing it and we're sticking all the way through. So, hey, you're absolutely right. Two weeks in a row. Here we are. That's what we call a winning streak. Exactly. Right there. So, hopefully, we can keep it up. When we're on episode 180 or doing our thousandth episode years down the line, we're going to look back and be like, dang, week two was the week we could have decided not to, and instead we did, and this will be the one that started it all. Exactly. Put this on a, on our gold-plated thousandth episode plaque, this quote right here. Episode two was the turning point. <laughs> exactly. When we are podcast millionaires, we will be... Looking back on this day with great pride and joy. Exactly. So shout out to all of you that are in on the ground level. You'll be able to say you knew us from the from the jump. So Yeah, you got us there. You got us to that one millionth episode. One million. One million episodes. Yeah. No, it's longer than days oh you're gonna be alive. Uh is that Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a lot of days. Dang. Yeah, a million is uh, is a lot of days. But thousand episodes, hey, that's definitely doable. Nine hundred ninety-eight so. more. Take one down, pass it around. Ninety-eight more episodes to go. Man, yeah, it's been a learning process too. This whole last week was a lot of time spent editing and learning how to upload to different platforms. Which is actually not as hard as I thought. There's just a website, Anchor, that let us put it up on everywhere. So it's now on Spotify and apple podcasts and google podcasts and i know that nobody's going to listen on 90 percent of the ones that it's on now but it did it to all of them for free and it's been cool because i've been able to track how many listens we have and i think we're up to about like 40 total across all of them maybe up to 50 at this point which is honestly pretty remarkable so shout out to all you 50 people that that is pretty remarkable that's about 50 hours of people's lives that uh, they're just never going to get back so exactly i'm pretty sure two of them was me but that's right. Well, 48 then. That's fine. We'll, we'll count 48. It. So shout out to you guys. So anyway, this week, obviously, we're going to be talking about episode two of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I got to say, I'm really liking the week to week aspect of these shows. I think it was a little bit annoying at first with WandaVision that they gave us two and then we had to wait week to week. But I'm getting used to it. And I think I like it more than the Netflix dump all at once. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. The binge all entire season or entire series at a time model that Netflix is spoilers with, with their habit of putting the entirety of shows, you know, ma- making them available at, at once, really kind of loses that week to week anticipation and something to look forward to uh, that you get with the traditional episodic release. And I got to agree, I'm enjoying uh, looking forward to Fridays. You know, obviously everybody looks forward to Fridays, don't get me wrong. But with an episode of a a great show to look forward to as well, it's just a little something extra to make the end of the week that much more special. So, uh, yeah, I got to agree with you. The week-to-week release date is working. And it's getting people talking. I mean, we're talking about it every week, and obviously there are with much larger platforms than us talking about it. And so it's it's just more media, more coverage for Marvel every single week as they put out new stuff. So they don't plan on going anywhere for a long time. I think it builds the hype for each episode a bit more, which maybe makes it a bit harder or a bit more pressure to stick the landing when we finally get to the finale than it would be if it was a single dump. But honestly, that's all right. It's been just so fun. All of this uh, theorizing and being able to talk about it in between lets us dig a lot deeper into the episodes than we would if it was all at once. Oh, yeah. It's like they're leading us down 
I pass with you know a little a little treat. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. Every so often, it's just leading us to what we hope will be you know the treasure trove at the end. But instead of giving it to us, you know, just here's all the candy at one. Don't get me wrong. If if they released it, you know, the entire Falcon and Winter Soldier show at once, I would have watched it all in one day. So I I do appreciate the slow drip of uh, weekly releases and getting to theorize for the next six days about what's going to happen next week. So it's nice. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of this episode, we start right off with the guy that ended the last episode, which I was a little bit curious to see how long it would take before this new Captain America showed up again. And it's literally the first scene. I mean, obviously after the last week on, you know, section, but we see him right there. And I'll be honest, his face did not look like what I thought it would. But I instantly recognized him, and apparently the the actor that plays this guy, John Walker, is Wyatt Russell, who's apparently Kurt Russell's son, which is interesting. And I knew I recognized him from somewhere, but he was in that episode of Black Mirror. I forget exactly what it was called, but the fear one, where the dude goes and gets the implant that does like the horror haunted house in his head. And so I was like, oh, I had not recognized him from anything else, but I knew he looked familiar, and that, that finally clicked. So... I wonder if he's related to Ego at all, being Kurt Russell's son. <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, that seems like a bit of a stretch, but yes, uh, I think Wyatt Russell is a very good actor. I've seen him in that episode of Black Mirror as well, and he was great. I think that's one of the better episodes of the show, if we're being honest. But this is an entirely different uh, discussion. Uh, the first scene with John Walker... You know, the episode jumps right off uh, with him in the locker room uh, before going out to a Good Morning America interview. And he is having butterflies, you know, just like the locker room is an appropriate setting for that. You know, it seems like he's getting ready for a big game, but he's put on a different kind of uniform this week. I could not imagine the stress level that he must be under. How do you possibly step in and be Captain America? I don't even know how that's possible. And I think this first opening scene let me feel a little bit sympathetic for him, which I was not expecting after the end of the first episode. I was expecting to just hate him. And I think later on in this episode, I start getting to that point. But initially, I was a little bit thrown off guard because I was like, oh, man, this guy actually seems like he's a good dude. He doesn't seem like he's a Hydra plant or an evil government person, you know. But he just seems like a genuine good guy that's just wanting to do what's best. And again, I think that changes a little bit as the episode goes on. He comes out to be a bit of a jerk. But I was like, man, this is throwing me off a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to be rooting for this new Captain America, but I kind of find myself a little bit. Yeah, the, uh, the intro scene here introduces a couple of characters related to Walker. Firstly, this is love interest. They have a conversation about how the shoes of Sea Rogers are you know, impossible to fill and you know, that he shouldn't try to do that. He should just go out there and be himself. And yeah, I agree with you. You feel a little bit for this guy as he's trying to undergo basically this impossible task of stepping up in, in the place of one of the world's most famous superheroes, beloved icons. And obviously the uh, expectations are insane here. And he talks about that a little bit later in the scene with his his right-hand man, uh, Lamar Hoskins, who we'll see come up again later. But uh, then he goes out to the interview, and that's where the credits roll in. Uh, instead of the normal Marvel Studios theme song, we have a, a band playing in the background uh, as he comes out to the crowd. Quick point before going into the next scene. Every time I hear it, this dude's name is John Walker. Steve, you remember Dr. Walker, right? Our pediatrician growing up, his name was John Walker. 
So every time I think of him, or every time I saw him on screen or heard this dude get called John Walker, I'm like, man, <laughs> my old doctor from when I was a kid. That man is also a superhero. By the way, Dr. John Walker, if you're listening to this, by some chance, you're a legend. He honestly is. Shout out Dr. Walker, Kids Station Pediatrics. Yeah, best pediatrician in the game. Oh my goodness, what a legend. I remember going to his house for the 2009, was it, Super Bowl? Between the Colts and the Saints. Yep. I don't know why we ended up at that party. He and his family were big Saints fans. And uh, yeah, I guess they were just so excited to have the Saints succeed in a season that uh, they started inviting over everybody they knew. I just remember that being the most hyped Super Bowl party I've ever been to. Because that was when the Saints had the onside kick right after halftime. And yep. they ended up winning pretty handily. And it, that house was just losing its mind. But... That's the side. That's just what I think of whenever I hear this dude's name is John Walker. <laughs> yes, we always get brought back so, to that 2009 Super Bowl party. I, I, yeah. I'm on the same page with you, 100%. Yeah, shout out, shout out Dr. Walker. But regardless, we hop into the scene where he's at like a high school football stadium. And at first I was a little bit confused because I was thinking there's no possible way that people are going to love this guy coming in and replacing Captain America. And then I realized that this is his hometown. and that changed my perspective. I'm like, dang, imagine somebody we knew from like high school just becoming Captain America and how wild it would be. And clearly this is somewhere more south because it's like a pretty big high school football stadium. And so even more so just the idea of someone from your town like making it up and being Captain America. I can see how and why people were so hyped. But at first I was like, dang, why are people actually rooting for this guy? He's not <laughs> he's not real Captain America. Yeah, it'd be like the equivalent of, uh, you know, of somebody from your high school making a professional sports league and, you know, only times 10 because Captain America is infinitely more famous than any athlete could ever be. Sorry, LeBron, if you, when you're listening to this eventually, Captain America would be more famous than you. Yeah, poor LeBron. It's just a fact. It's a hard life. Um, it's a hard life. <laughs> poor LeBron, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bummer. Second place to Steve Rogers. But actually, interesting segue to the next point here is that in this interview, you know, he makes the point that, and he says specifically, he says, I'm not Tony Stark, I'm not Dr. Banner. So the Avengers are, you know, worldwide notorious figures at this point. People know them by name. It's not like they have you know, necessarily secret identities uh, for most of them. So, yeah, it's it's just interesting to get that perspective to somebody who up until now has been, you know, not a superhero, but still clearly is aware of you know, and knows about what's going on with people like the Avengers, because for so long, we've only gotten their perspective. It's easy to forget that there are other people in the world that would be affected by what they do and would know about what's going on. So again, he reiterates that, you know, he's not trying to be, you know, Steve Rogers, he knows that he could never step in and be him, but he's going to try to do the best he can. He mentions that he's got guts, you know, which is the most important quality that that Cap has, regardless of superpowers or tech or anything like that and we cut to bucky watching the interview and he's clearly visibly upset by what's going on and that leads right into the next scene where sam and bucky meet each other for the first time in the show yeah well let me cut in real quick before we move on to the next scene i was curious when we get introduced to john walker to <laughs> dr walker i was curious as to what the selection process was that got him to be Captain America, because they don't, they don't show that at all. And it must have been a quick turnaround because uh, Sam only just gave in the shield a few days ago, it seems like, from, 
from the timeline of the movie or of the show excuse me because that's when last episode we figure out that the shield has been a given to the smithsonian and then just within a couple of days turned around so i don't know if they had been doing a selection process for a while before that in anticipation of him giving up the shield or clearly he told them about it way ahead of time them being being the government but i was curious as to what the selection process was and and also i was curious as to how this dude would be able to be a superhero if he's just a guy that's in good shape i guess that's kind of what hawkeye is <laughs> and he's a superhero um, but they, in the interview on the Good Morning America, the newscaster lady runs through his resume and she says he's the first person in American history to receive three medals of honor, which he looks pretty young, is pretty remarkable, uh, that he ran RS-1 missions in counterterrorism and hostage rescue, so he's super good under pressure and he apparently is just the most fit person in the world. He tests off the charts in every measurable category, so basically just a he's good at everything and then there's a little clip in there of him throwing the shield and i mean that shield is just magic so i think a child could throw it and it would hit exactly what what you're trying to hit yeah as spider-man famously says in civil war you know, that thing does not obey the laws of physics at all so you can throw it off any surface whatsoever and it's coming back to you but yeah i mean uh, you make a good point about his physical abilities and clearly he's a finely decorated soldier Lots of accomplishments to his name. Clearly is in fantastic shape as we see later in the episode and we see the video of him training with the shield. Um, but he's not quite a super soldier, is he? No, I had actually been doing some research on this after the last episode because he looked familiar and a bit of his uniform, like clearly it's a, very, it's a slightly different take on the Captain America uniform than what Cap has. So I ended up doing some research and looking into it, and it turns out that this guy, John Walker, in the comics is this character called U.S. Agent, who is Captain America at one point, but the role he ends up kind of settling into at some point is U.S. Agent. And so I didn't look into many spoilers because I don't want that to be ruined, any of the storylines there, but he, just as a character in the comics, undergoes a little bit of experimentation, you know, classic works for some science thing and gets tested on and ends up getting super strength and super abilities. So he's basically like a superhuman level in the comics. And he's kind of this super far-right nationalistic jerk kind of a guy, which you had mentioned when we were talking before the episode that he's kind of like Homelander, if you've seen The Boys on Amazon, where he's this kind of all-American jerk kind of dude who's very much um, kind of the extreme version of Captain America. And so that's something we end up seeing a little bit more of towards the end of the episode. I don't know how much they're going to lean into that. They might not. And it seems as if they're not giving him any superhuman strength or abilities. But it was interesting reading into that and seeing how they're kind of changing it a little bit. Um, especially because I had not heard of him as a character before. But it, clearly he's based off someone in the comics. And it'll be interesting to see where he ends up making it during the show. If he ends up stepping into that or staying as Cap or whatever that looks like. Yeah, an interesting uh, take that I saw on John Walker, I was reading a, a comment just breaking down the episode, and it made an interesting point that John Walker is basically, you know, a Captain America if he had been on the other side in Civil War, that would trust the government to handle superheroes properly and would be able to, like, fall in step with whatever the government needs him to do. That seems to be what Walker is about. And we get more of that later in the episode, but it seems to be basically Walker is an excellent soldier who seems to be the, the perfect candidate that they would have chosen to step in to a Captain America-like role. 
even looks pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the the guy that they would have chosen, you know, court that uh, Colonel Phillips back in Captain America one may have chosen over a skinny, scrawny Steve Rogers because he'd be the perfect soldier. So uh, we'll see what happens with Walker and his goodness or badness in relation to our to our heroes here as it goes on uh, throughout the show. But then we go on to the next scene where after Bucky watches the interview with a sad face, he runs, oh, he doesn't run into Sam. They meet at a hangar to get flown to Munich. So we get a scene with them talking in the airplane hangar. They have a conflict arise over Sam's decision to return the shield. And I know where I stand in this disagreement here, but I want to know your thoughts on it. As Bucky is visibly upset with Sam for returning the shield, and they're both distressed by the government having just given it to somebody else right away. Bucky's pretty furious at Sam for letting that happen, and Sam is trying to defend himself. I think initially I sided much more with Bucky, especially at the end of last episode. It was pretty clear that they were going to give the shield to someone else immediately. And the fact that Sam didn't expect that and is now shocked, I put that fully on him. Like, what, what did he think was going to happen? And I wonder if Bucky's also kind of a bit salty because Cap gave the shield to Sam and not Bucky. And maybe he's like, dang, why'd he give it to you if you were just going to give it away anyway? He might as well just given it to me. <laughs> but also it seems like he struggles with a lot of self-worth and feeling guilty and having a, a very heavy conscience and so maybe he wouldn't actually have wanted the shield to begin with so i totally get where bucky is coming from on this and why he's frustrated because even in last week's episode we talked about that being like bro you know this was going to happen and if you didn't that's on you but I also do get Sam's perspective a bit. That's just a lot of pressure to be under and realistically seems just an impossible role to step into and to fulfill. And it seems like he did what he thought was best. Now, I definitely see the point that you and, and Sam are making here. But on the other hand, if you're going to give away the shield, if you don't feel comfortable stepping up into the, the shoes, you know, that cap specifically laid out and said, hey, these are your shoes to fill now. You know, if you're going to just give that responsibility up, the frustration that he feels seeing somebody else pick it up is totally unfounded, in my opinion. If you don't think that you can handle it and then they give the job to somebody else, how can you be mad that somebody else is doing it? I mean, if Sam was really that upset... He can't seriously think that they would have just let the shield sit in the Smithsonian. And for him to just give it away and then be upset that somebody else is using his toys, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Should have kept it. Bucky's making valid points. Exactly. I do think there's a point where Sam clearly already feels bad about it and probably regrets giving it in. And so piling on probably doesn't help a whole lot. Uh, he makes a point. He's like, what am I going to do? Call America up and ask them to give it back. Like, realistically, he's not going to be able to get it back through as simple a, a way as asking or stealing it back or something like that. And so it's like he already does feel like he made a mistake. And so piling on doesn't really help, which I think there's a later scene on when they're in therapy together that to kind of address this. But yeah, this whole scene in the hangar uh, as they're getting ready for their mission seemed like just a, a precursor to the therapy scene they touch on a lot of the same issues but it's just kind of you know, cracks the door gives you a little peek into what's going on between these two and then the therapy scene i think really gets into some of the deeper issues that the two of them have so uh, we can talk about that when we get to it but uh, there's also some pretty funny moments in the scene i thought the falcon mentions the uh, the big three uh, how there's always uh, only three types of enemies they fight uh aliens androids and wizards uh, <laughs> and so 
Bucky, I think, has the best line that Winter Soldier has ever had in the MCU, I'd say. <laughs> when <laughs> he mentions Gandalf in relation to Sam mentioning wizards. <laughs> Sam asks him how he knows about Gandalf. And <laughs> Bucky says, I read The Hobbit in 1937 when it came out. <laughs> Just some old man humor there. That's so funny. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I started dying when I heard that on the on the show. And just the whole idea of the big three, it's so funny. And I was thinking through and I'm like, dang, at least when those two have fought, it's one of those three, which is just funny. <laughs> I guess there's some like other super soldiers in there. Like, I don't know, Fred Skull technically counts as a super soldier. And then like Killmonger is not. But those are movies that these two guys are not really fighting in as the Winter Soldier. Red Skull, Bucky faces off against at some point, but not as the Winter Soldier. And then Falcon obviously wasn't even alive for that. So in all of the big Avengers movies, it's been aliens, androids, and wizards. And that's just, that's so funny. I think it just continues this trend of them poking fun at themselves in the MCU. Like I mentioned a little bit last week in WandaVision, her making fun of her accent coming and going last week them making fun of like how do you guys even get paid to live and then here it's like yeah we recycle the same types of villains again and again <laughs> it's just it's funny yeah well it is a definitely a commentary on how it seems like there's just different versions of each villain they can fight in each movie but it also comes back a little bit later in the episode when walker and hoskins pick up bucky and sam in a truck and they mention oh it's got to be one of the big three that we're fighting here but clearly that's what the government uses to delegate these threats as well. And so you can obviously get that of technicalities and say, well, maybe technically they're not wizards or, you know, aliens. They're just maybe a different type of magic that's being used or something. You know, get down to the nitty gritty. But it seems to me that the government really isn't super interested in learning what actual threats they face if they're willing to separate them into three generic categories with one being as silly as a category as wizards so i wonder if maybe that is just a sign of what's going to come with walker as you know maybe he's just less interested in finding out what's really going on and doing the right thing as opposed to just going in and taking out the bad guys maybe that will be a main difference between him and rogers as the story develops you know steve obviously tried to do the right thing all the time even you know that didn't involve punching his way through every single thing so maybe walker will be the opposite side of that coin and just be an absolute jackhammer wearing the uniform but i guess we'll see yeah no that's all good points we'll see how it comes up i'm very interested to see just how his character continues to unfold though i think he's a really interesting wrinkle to throw in he's not a villain it seems as if but clearly bucky and sam have some issues but they also have to be on the same side even just to deal with this new like semi-ally that they have in john walker and then I imagine the three of them will eventually then have to figure out how to work together to take out Zemo or whatever the threat ends up being, the Flag Smashers down the line. But we will see. Yeah, but they leave the airport or the hangar after having that fun conversation, though, about the big three <laughs> and have a little bit of a staring contest. You can tell they're trying to out-macho each other, which is kind of hilarious because they do that all throughout all the other movies, too. And then there's an interesting part where Sam ends up calling Bucky Buck and he has a pretty strong reaction to it. He's like, hey, don't call me that. He's like, what, Steve called you that? And he's like, yeah, but Steve knew me longer. <laughs> and Steve had a plan. Again, I think that's from when he gives up the shield. And he's like, dang, you are not like Steve. And so Steve would have kept the shield. And so he kind of views it as disrespect and 
doesn't want him calling that. But anyway, they end up jumping out of the plane. They're following Red Wing, who has found the group, the Flag Smashers, from last episode, and the leader. He kind of traced them to this area in Munich. So they end up jumping out of the, the plane. And it's just, this scene was hilarious as well, because Falcon just jumps out and he can fly. It's no big deal. He can fly. Like, he's got the wings. He's got the rocket booster whatever. No problem jumping out. And then Bucky's like, uh, where's the parachute? And they're like, there is no parachute. <laughs> and he's just like, all right. And he just sends himself out the window. <laughs> and he like puts his arm down as if he's going to land on it and brace his fall. And then he just lands flat on his back anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, how is this dude not just straight up dead? Like, how are we supposed to believe he's in any danger at any point when he just jumped like 200 feet out of this airplane and landed flat on his back? Like, we see Steve take some big falls and land on his shield, which we can imagine absorbs it and stuff. And clearly Bucky's a super soldier, but still, like, man, this dude literally just <laughs> jumped out. Didn't even land in the water either. He landed just flat on his back on the ground. I'm like, dang, that looked so painful. Yeah. Definitely get the wind knocked out of him a little on that one, that's for sure. But they get he gets up, they track the flag smashers to a warehouse where they're loading some boxes into uh, the back of a couple trucks. And they uh, end up chasing the trucks out of the warehouse as uh, they pull off with the cargo. Redwing scans the trucks and they find that there's, I think they believe, seven hostiles and a hostage. So Bucky... In a really cool shot, actually, chases after the truck, catches up to a speeding vehicle on the road with his super soldier speed, and rips open the back to, to find the hostage inside. Surprise, however, he gets punched out of the back of the truck into the windshield of the other one because the hostage turns out to be the leader of the Flag Smashers, Carly Morgenthau. She apparently has super strength, as do all the other Flag Smashers on this truck, and it leads to a very, I think, exciting fight sequence uh, on top of the trucks as they speed down the road between Falcon, Bucky, and uh, these handful of super soldiers. The handful of super soldiers... Yeah, it reminded me a bit of the scene in Age of Ultron when they're fighting Ultron on top of the trailer that Vision's body is being made in. It's always just a fun action setting, action scene to have the on top of a moving truck type of fight. Yeah, again, just like what we talked about last week, the action is so good here. At first, I was a little bit confused because there's a part where Bucky gets grabbed by two guys. And up till that point, we'd only seen the one guy, the big guy with the long hair, be super strong. And so I thought, okay, maybe he's the leader and he's super strong and the rest of them are not. And I was like, why is Bucky not able to just break out of these two normal people's grasp when they're grabbing him? And then it becomes pretty clear, oh, clearly they're all a lot stronger than we initially thought. And it's not just one or two of them. Yeah, it becomes apparent that all these flag smashers are wearing the masks have super strength as they're restraining Bucky and honestly kind of kicking butt. Our two main heroes are getting it handed to them uh, on top of the truck. And just when all seems lost, uh, a chopper comes out of nowhere, which you think would give itself away as choppers are, you know, not the quietest vehicles on the planet. But, you know, it appears above them and uh, John Walker and Hoskins jump out to save the day. Only they don't really. They assist a little bit in the fight. There's, uh, I think, a really, really cool shot when uh, Hoskins gets kind of thrown off the truck and Walker flings the shield out uh, on a dime to kind of save Hoskins, which, in practicality, 
is landing right on your back on a vibranium shield going to hurt any less than landing on the road? Probably not. But it looked cool. I think so. I think the point of the vibranium is that it absorbs literally all of the shock. That's how Cap is able to survive when he falls. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what scene it is, but he falls basically the height of an entire seven, eight story building and he just lands on his shield and is fine. And so I imagine that's the case. Right. After the elevator sequence in Winter Soldier, he, he jumps out and just lands right on yeah, his... Yeah, that scene. Like curl up into a ball into the shield. Right. I thought that was ridiculous then and I still think this is ridiculous. But yeah, we just had to keep in mind vibranium is magic and can do literally anything. Yeah, well, it's the same with uh, it's the same with Black Panther's suit where he just gets hit and it absorbs all of it. Um, the shield doesn't have the ability to reflect the kinetic energy, which is good. That would be OP, which is why Black Panther is OP. But regardless, one thing that kind of bothered me about this fight, though, is Falcon. This dude like has guns and he has Red Wing and he's on the ground or not technically on the ground, but he's on foot throwing punches and stuff against people that clearly end up being super strong and super soldiers, we find out. I'm like, dude, just hover back at a distance and start shooting them. Like, <laughs> that's something that never makes sense to me. Like last episode when when Torres is following the Flag Smashers and he has that guy at gunpoint, he walks close enough that the dude can disarm him. And then here it's like Falcon just fly slightly behind them out of reach and shoot them. <laughs> I don't know why they always have to get down and start throwing hands, especially when it's against super people. I don't get it, but he ends up being fine and they end up getting their butts kicked, so. Yeah, well, you know, if everybody made the right decisions, these movies would be a lot shorter. That's and true. The shows would have a lot less conflict in it, so. But we do see the new Captain America, Dr. Walker, actually do pretty well in this fight. Up to the point when he has to throw his shield just to save Hoskins, he's like throwing it really well and really accurately and he's knocking people off and clearly the thing is just bouncing back to him like it would with normal Captain America. And he's like holding his own and at this point I'm like, dang, this dude actually has some, has some chops. And I definitely still at this point was rooting for him because up to this point we've only seen him be humble and gracious you know kind of all of the aspects of captain america that we have known and loved about the old captain america and he's out there totally handling his own and i'm like dang i can't believe i'm actually not hating this guy right now even though it just felt super weird seeing him in, in captain america's costume i was like what the heck i would not have expected this to be in this show <laughs> but i at this point, I was still rooting for him, and that changes a little bit later on. But it was cool seeing him in action kind of right away. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. At this point, he, he steps in, and you think, oh, no, new guy's going to get his behind kicked. But, you know, like you said, he, he does, you know, hold his own, you know, for a little bit. At the end of the fight, you know, he, he tosses the shield to save Hoskins, climbs back up on the truck, whips out a one-liner, and then promptly gets punched off the back of the truck by Morgenthau. So, you know, the fight ends there as all of the heroes have been dispatched with. And unfortunately, here is also where we have to say goodbye to one of the most beloved members of the MCU. And it was a surprise death. You know, not many people saw it coming. And it was very emotional for lots of us. Of course, we're talking about Red Wind. Falcon's drone bit the dust this episode. So sad, dude. So we just got to pour one out for the homie. So whatever you're drinking as you listen to this podcast, just dump some of it right out, right on the pour floor. Do it. I'm not going to do that. I got a, a decent carpet in here, but later on I will. I did. Oh, now I got water on my <laughs> on my nice wood floors. I got to have to clean that up later. But yeah, Red Wing, man, 
he's too OP. We talked about it last week. He's too OP. They had to nerf Falcon by nerfing Red Wing, and it's tough, but right. he can make it's, another one. Uh, seems to be a replaceable piece of technology, and I doubt they'll have issues finding a suitable... I wonder if he will, or if he'll just be stuck without it. Maybe he'll get a blue one. Maybe he'll get a color upgrade uh, here, and, and Red Wing will get some new colors, and he'll be a different wing. Yeah, and then he'd be more like uh, Captain America, because then he'd be the red, white, and blue instead of just the red and white that he's got on now. So maybe it's the first step in transitioning over to being the new Cap, for real, which I still fully expect is going to happen yes. by the end of the season. I agree. I think we are all still waiting for Sam Wilson to take up the shield at the end of this show, or at least be on his way to filling the title as Captain America or Captain Falcon. Captain Falcon. <laughs> Black Falcon. Oh, they call him that later on, later on in, in Baltimore. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We do have another couple scenes before we get to that, though. Firstly, after the fight, a truck comes and picks up Walker and Hoskins, and they roll right by Bucky and Falcon as they're walking along the road, and they pick them up. And here is where, you know, you feel a little bit for Walker as well. At this point, Sam and Bucky just seem annoyed that those guys even arrived there to help them out, you know, when they kind of just saved their butts a little, you know, and Walker is like, we got to know what we're up against, and we got to work together to make this easier. And they're both like, eh, we're not going to listen to you. And, you know, Walker is just like, look, I get it. Like, I understand that I'm not Steve Rogers. I'm not trying to be. I'm just trying to do the job the best that I can do it. And so I think he's making good points. And Bucky and Sam are just not hearing any of it. They are still just seeing Steve every time they look at the shield and then they see somebody who's not Steve holding it. And you get where they're coming from, obviously. You know, as fans of the series, we feel awkward seeing somebody else wear the colors and, and have the shield as well. But, you know, Walker's making good points. You know, he's the guy that they got doing it now. You know, he didn't ask for this, but he's going to do the job the best he can. Yeah, totally. I'm still sympathetic to him up to this point. And they're definitely giving him the cold shoulder, which is the first time we've seen them kind of in agreement, Bucky and Sam. It's the first time we've really seen them in agreement about basically anything in this show so far. And so I was starting to see a little bit of, okay, it seems like they're going to have differences, have disagreements, have conflict between the two of them. But then they're going to end up coming, I, I expect, they're going to end up kind of coming together to help figure out what to do with this new Captain America figure. And so I think he will kind of be part of the thing that drives them together a bit more. Because here is where they're just in total agreement <laughs> in saltiness sitting there in just silence for most of the ride. Or just giving backhanded comments to, to Dr. Walker. Um, but it's the last line that he says that's a little bit of an ouch. When he says, I'm not trying to be Steve. I'm not trying to be Captain America that you know. Like, I'm trying to do just the best that I can do. And then he says, it'd be a whole lot easier if I had Cap's wingmen on my side. Which honestly, he's not really wrong about that, but that's also not something you say to them, to their faces, and they end up walking, they just hop out of the truck and leave at that point, where he just relegates them to being Cap's wingmen, which up to this point kind of have been the Steve Rogers wingmen, but now they're very clearly their own individual heroes, and, and so calling them that just shows that he does view himself as above them and better than them because of the mantle and because of the position he has, even though he has been trying to play the humble part up to this point. And this is kind of the first sequence we see, the first insight we see into him where we're like, okay, this guy isn't quite as great as it seems like he's been up to this point he's not quite as sympathetic a figure and there's definitely an ego behind there that the real captain america didn't have and it's more than just confidence yeah i agree with you he's come off extraordinarily humble throughout the episode so far but one line that he does mention makes you 
make you think a little. You know, Bucky says, you're not him. You don't deserve it. And Walker kind of fires back defensively. He said, hey, I've, I've done the work. So there's part of him that's like, yeah, I didn't ask to be Captain America. I'll do the best I can. But you know what? Maybe I do deserve to be Captain America. Of anybody? Like, why not me? Like, I have done the work. You heard what the lady said during the interview. Like, I got the Medal of Honor three times. I handle business when it needs to be handled. If anybody should wear it, it should be me. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that mindset. Because if you come into a new situation, like, say, if you're on a sports team, if you're in the NBA or something, and you get traded to a new team, and you show up, right? Like, if people are giving you crap, or telling you you don't deserve to be there. Like, that's not going to ingratiate you well. You got to be able to stand up for yourself and say, no, I am actually capable of doing this. Because otherwise, you're going to internalize that. And that's going to make it impossible for you to actually do the job. If you just completely listen and absorb what other people say you're not capable or not deserving. And so, like, he's got to stand up for himself in that situation. Mm -hmm. But then I think he takes it over the line by denigrating them rather than just sticking up for himself. Right. That's a good point. We also get the name drop of the the GRC in this conversation, uh, the Global Repatriation Council, which is apparently something that's been set up after everybody has blipped back into uh, reality to kind of set up and deal with the misplaced people that have been either misplaced by those who survived the blip or are in need of stability and housing and what have you after coming back. Clearly, there'd be a uh, near infinite mess to clean up after half the planet's population just comes back out of nowhere. There has to be some world council in charge of that. So I'm sure there will be some nefarious scheme going on with the Global Repatriation Council at some point in time. Can't have a world organization in a superhero movie or world without it becoming evil at some point. So I'm sure we'll see that develop. But that leads directly into the next scene, actually, as we. Uh, go to the Flag Smasher hideout, and we learn about what they believe and what drives their ideology as a reactionary political group. Essentially, they believe that the the GRC cares more about the people that came back than those that you know survived and suffered for five years. They feel misprioritized and unseen by the world after they're clearly uh, prioritizing all the people that came back and fitting them back into society as it is five years after they left, they honestly have a fairly valid point for the people that have been there suffering as they watch loved ones and, you know, friends and family just disappear and the world just fall into utter chaos. And they had to deal with that for five years and then everybody comes back and it seems like the people who bore the brunt of the burden of this blip, some alliteration for them, are now being shunted off to the side. And the guy who ends up hosting them in this hideout which, first of all, he's German, which is a bit cliche at this point <laughs> with Hydra and with just spy thrillers in general. It's like, it's always Germans. I actually don't know if that's necessarily that big a deal, though. I think it's because they were in Munich. That's where the shipments were getting taken from. Yeah, that's true. And they're just clearly like on the, they're on the move is the thing. Like they talk about how they track them in different safe houses based on like their digital signature or something. So I don't think that necessarily has anything to do with him being German. Just like they were in Germany and there's a guy that they need to house them safely. Yeah, that's fair. I guess it was just my first thought. It's like, uh, you know, they could have said it anywhere and oh. they picked Germany again. But 
regardless, the guy that's there that is hosting them ends up talking about this as well, where he's like, yeah, you have support wherever you go. And it seems like there's a massive movement for what they stand for, even if the number of people actually involved in and calling themselves the flag smashers with the masks and being super soldiers and all that. Even if that's a pretty low number of people, it seems as if the kind of grassroots support for it is actually a lot higher than we anticipated which I suppose makes sense given everything you you just mentioned. But it's also interesting because like, dang, this is not just a secret society by themselves. This is going to be like a lot of public opinion and just people too that aren't even necessarily associated with this organization, but that agree with what they stand for. And so that makes it really, really interesting and a pretty morally gray situation, at least compared to, oh, a big alien comes to blow up the planet. Clearly they're evil. And that was something that everyone loved about Thanos. He got so much development and it's like, yeah, we can see where he's coming from. We think he's wrong. But there was a whole movement, Thanos was right or Thanos did nothing wrong. And I don't know how serious people were about that. But that was what made him interesting was the fact that it's like, yeah, he has totally legitimate, from his point of view, reasons for what he's doing. It's not just, I want to rule the world or I want to blow up everything. And it's like, dang, this is going to be a lot of normal people that are supporting this movement, this group. And that makes it really tricky knowing how to navigate, especially when there's a figure like the new Captain America, such a bold figure and such a public figure. Like, how do you navigate that? Yeah, so I'm interested to see where that continues to grow out rather than it being just a secret society that's clearly evil that most people don't even know about because then you can just totally ignore all of those questions. Right, no, I think the Flag Smashers are going to be a very interesting Again, I can't even, I don't even know if villain is the right word for them at this point. They are just trying to make the point that the world was better during the blip. Whether that point is correct or not, that's what they believe. They repeat their mantra at the end of the scene, one world, one people. So just looking at what would happen, you know, in an event like that where half the world's population is wiped out, you know, and they come back with the phrase one world, one people saying that that was a better time. Clearly, that was an event that brought the world together and half the world's population getting wiped away in an instant really puts things in perspective for the people that are remaining on the planet as to what's really important. And clearly, they were able to put their differences aside and, you know, make society and the world work for the people that remain keeping in mind that, you know, could have been one of those people whose life was just wiped from existence in an instant, you know, but then everybody comes back and that all changes. So I read a comment that was pretty funny and I said, the Flag Smashers are basically acting like an older sibling who's upset that they have a newborn <laughs> baby brother or sister that is now getting more love from mom and dad than they are. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And as the older brother, I can say that's true. You definitely don't even remember but, that, though. Come on. No, I don't. Uh, that's <laughs> year one and a half of my life. I can't honestly say there are any memories back then. That's so funny. Uh, that I still retain. But, yeah, I thought that was just a funny comparison to make between the Flag Smashers and the rest of the world there. Yeah, totally. But that's just a short scene. We, we just get a little bit of background on them. We see a little bit more of Carly, but that's where we leave this flag smashers here yeah let me interject here real quick there's a brief like a three second scene within this bunker with carly where she pulls out her phone and looks at it and it's from an unknown private number and it says you took what was mine i'm going to find you and kill you and that is not talked about again for the rest of the episode she just looks at it looks scared puts it away and then it moves on with the scene and it's like dang 
that's clearly something down the road. And I'm really interested to see what that could be. If that's a U.S. government type of thing, if that's maybe John Walker, if it's Hydra, because we end up learning that Hydra, of course, is involved or potentially involved later on in the episode, or if it's a character we just haven't been introduced to yet. But it's clear even here that even as quote unquote the villains up until this point, the Flag Smashers and Carly seem as if they're still under pressure from another entity. So it's like it is it does make us even a bit more sympathetic as well. And so I'm curious as to whether that's been a good guy or a bad guy who's masquerading as a good guy up to this point, like John Walker, or if it's just another villain we haven't met yet. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see what happens with that later in the show. But uh, I agree it was a good tease to the the idea that there's another presence or entity affecting the Flag Smashers. They're not just wholly operating on their own, and there may be something else more nefarious going on behind the scenes, either using the Flag Smashers specifically for his own purposes, or maybe making good use of the chaos that's ensuing as they make their attacks and their thefts and, and what have you. So um, I guess we'll see where that plays out going forward. So after we have the scene with the Flag Smashers, we go to probably one of the most important scenes, I would say, in the show so far, where Bucky and Sam go to Baltimore. On the way there, (laughs) Bucky has a funny suggestion where he just is like, why can't we go take the shield? (laughs) And Sam's like, well, we can't really just walk up on them and beat them up and take it. That's... (laughs) Last time we went up against the government, Sharon Carter and I had to go deep underground, uh, referencing Civil War, obviously, where you know they took sides, and he and Sharon ended up on Steve's side. Bucky did as well, but he was already uh, on the run, so it didn't really change anything for him. But we get Sharon Carter named Job Tears, who is slated to appear in the show at some point, and I'm sure this week's mentioning was just a tease for her to be coming up. I'd assume next week, um, but definitely at some point here going forward. Hearing her name made me think, I wonder if Cap ever addressed with Peggy when he went back in time that he kissed her uh, her niece. <laughs> I wonder what that conversation was like. Uh, yeah, Cap kissed his own grandniece. Pretty weird. She doesn't exist yet. So technically, in your timeline, Peggy, I haven't done it yet, so you can't get mad. <laughs> or maybe he just didn't mention it. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's probably one of those things that would just better be left unmentioned. Probably. But- um that's hilarious we'll see her uh, eventually here yeah but then they're walking in in the streets of baltimore and we're going to this unknown person's house because bucky says he just has this contact right and we're a little bit curious as to who it is it's implied that it's some person related to hydra or some super soldier something and there's this one scene in here this little interaction that they have where there's these two kids on the side of the road And one of them looks at Sam and calls him Black Falcon. I think you would have had the exact same thought as me. But my first, my first thought was Key and Peele, the the Power Falcons episode where Peele is playing the, the Green Falcon, but he's the only black one. And then they keep calling him Black Falcon. And they're like, go up on the left there, Black Falcon. And he's like, I'm Green Falcon. And they're like, all right. Stop being so Black Falcon about it. And he's like, what does that even mean? I'm the Green Falcon. Make sure you shore up that flank, Black Falcon. Um, are you talking to me? Because I'm the Green Falcon. And oh my goodness, I'll, I'll, I'll add in a clip in post. I'll add in a little audio from that. But I just heard that and I was like, just dying. I don't know. It was it was funny to me. Yep, I had the exact same reaction. I immediately went, "My falcon is green." 
I'm the Green Falcon. <laughs> oh, for those of you who haven't seen it, go check out that sketch. One of the funniest things ever made. Apologies for the horrible, horrible impersonations. Oh, my, my Jordan Peele voice is nowhere near as good as his. Oh, that is racist. Um, but, but shout out Keen Peele, though. Uh, just a, that was a, a funny um, little side joke there that they were making. But then we, we get to the real focus of this scene, and they arrive at Bucky's mysterious contacts house. And they're first greeted by um, this boy, Elijah, who is not interested in letting them get access to the house or talk to um, the person, Isaiah, who Bucky asks for. And so eventually they get inside the house after Bucky mentions something that only he and his contact would know. And essentially, we learn that uh, the guy they're visiting is a man called Isaiah Bradley. He was a test subject of the U.S. military back in World War II that got a version of the super soldier serum and was the only one in his test group to survive. So while Captain America was on ice, uh, there were other super-powered soldiers out handling business. Um, we learned that Isaiah and Bucky had a, a skirmish in the Korean War uh, where, as Isaiah tells it, he beat the crap out of Bucky and ripped half his arm off. And we see, actually, that he still has super soldier strength. He picks up a, a tin can and flings it halfway into the wall uh, with just a flick of his wrist. But the reveal that there have been other superpowered, other super soldiers for decades is kind of huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, apparently there have been super soldiers the whole time, which makes total sense. I mean, with the success of Captain America, there's no way that the military would not have been trying to make more super soldiers. Like, clearly, if it worked with Steve, I mean, Hydra was trying to do it again and semi-succeeded with Bucky, but to make the Winter Soldiers. And the U.S. must have been doing the same thing. And it's interesting because we just never heard about them being able to successfully replicate it. But this is the first time we actually get confirmation that, yeah, they were successful, at least with a few people. We don't know if there's another number out there or how many people ended up succeeding. Because like you said, Isaiah is the only one from his test group that succeeded. But it doesn't mean there weren't other test groups and things like that. And so it just opens up this whole new dang. There must have been a good number more, or at least we don't know how many more. There, there's the possibility of there being a good number more super soldiers. And it's interesting here because there wasn't a rush to replace the mantle of Captain America when he went on ice, even after they replicated the, the serum, which now, I mean, in what year is it now? 2023 in Marvel years? As soon as Steve goes away, they replace the Captain America, which maybe you say it's a different time once World war ii was over they didn't feel a need for the symbol as much but especially if they were able to recreate his powers i'm a little bit interested as to why they didn't have a captain america mantle back then kind of just to replace steve because that was initially what he was supposed to be right just the symbol and then they realized oh shoot this dude's actually a baller in battle um, but he was originally doing just trying to sell bonds basically and doing rallies so even in the beginning the symbol was just as important and so I'm a little bit interested as to why they didn't do that. But initially they wanted whole units of the super soldiers, right? Steve was only the only one because it all got stolen and destroyed all the rest of the serum in Captain America 1. And that's why he was ended up being the only one. But it seems like they succeeded in having at least more maybe full units of super soldiers. Which just makes you think of the possibilities of like how many would have been out there. And what other organizations slash governments got access to something like it. 
And then after this, you see Sam just like express a huge amount of frustration as well, because he's like, you were telling me there was a black Captain America this whole time, and I never even heard about it. And given the, the racial history in our country, if it was a black Captain America, it would make sense as to why he was frustrated that he wouldn't be shown as the Captain America symbol rather than the blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, Captain America that we get. And then we even get in John Walker. But Bucky asks Isaiah if he knows where these new super soldiers could be coming from. And Isaiah's like, yeah, I have no interest in helping you. Um, like this country basically put me in jail for being a super soldier and fighting for them. And like, I am not invested at all. I don't care really what happens. And it's pretty tragic, but the end result is basically we learn that there are more super soldiers out there, but we don't quite know where they're getting made from or who they belong to or any really of that, which is what Sam and Bucky had gone there to find out. But it is confirmation, it is a huge reveal that there's more super soldiers out there. Sorry for a quick interrupt. Uh, Steve apparently is having some neighbors with, we'll say, loud music. <laughs> yes, our, our neighbors both above and below, just lovely people. Not a bad thing to say about them. But if I had to pick one thing, is that they both love to just absolutely blast music at absurd volumes at all times of the day and night. Uh, so currently they are getting some <clears throat> pumping music going through that is rattling the bones of our house at 215 on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, getting getting turned at 2 215 on a Tuesday. So there may be some uh, little background music for you guys. Hopefully it doesn't sound too, too bad in post, but there may be a little bit of a, a little bit of a beat to this next part. Mm. Mm, mm. They're probably listening to the uh to the Wellerman, the sea shanty. There once was a ship. They are a hundred percent not listening because that song bangs way harder than anything that they've put on ever. <laughs> Wellerman Sea Shanty. Song of the Summer. That's you true. heard it here first on the Two Brothers podcast. Absolutely. I mean everyone already knows that. It's in the top fifty on Spotify and it's probably charting. Well, it better be the top one deserves it. <laughs> Honestly. It does but either way we step outside uh they leave isaiah he doesn't seem like he's going to give them any more information i'm curious to see if he'll actually come back later in the show i don't expect it but i think they left the door open for him to have a change of mind and come and help out at some in some capacity which i think would be cool but we don't know and they step out and are having an argument where yeah sam is like i can't believe you didn't tell anybody about this and bucky's like yeah i didn't know what good it would do to bring it up uh, and then a couple of police officers come by and because they're in a pretty rundown area and there's you know a black man and a white man in a yelling fight they come over and stop them and try to break it up it seems like there's going to be a lot of commentary on race and things like that in this show which it touched on a bit last week as well with the bank loan scene and i think that's just interesting because it just gives more insight into the real struggles that these characters face having to deal with, okay, you're not in your superhero costume, you're not always being recognized as a superhero. What happens in all of the 22 hours out of every day that you're not fighting crime um, and you're not fighting super villains? It's just interesting because it gives more insight into that. And I thought it was appropriate and an interesting scene because once they realize, they're like, oh shoot, sorry, we recognize you. And they back off a bit and then end up arresting Bucky because apparently he's missed his therapy session, which is basically like checking in with a probation officer, they say. And so he ends up getting arrested, even though they initially stopped to confront Sam. And it's like, oh, well, poor Bucky. He just went to Munich to fight super soldiers. And like these policemen are just here because he missed his therapy. 
which realistically, if Bucky were to snap again, it would be big bad news for everybody. So I totally get why there's this public need for him to be in therapy and be recovering. But also it's like, we know that he got cleaned up in Wakanda, even though he's still dealing with some stuff like he's not brainwashed anymore. And so I was like, dang, just let the dude go and fight supervillains. But the government always be getting in the way. So <laughs> the government always do be getting in the way. They really do. As they're arrested, I mean, here here we go. Government brings them in, uh, and the government bails them out. Walker is there at the police station as they are brought in, and he's there to get them released. The therapist is also there. They need to do some follow-up with Bucky and Sam, uh, and then they'll be free to go and help out Walker with whatever he needs them to do. You know, it's the way he sees things going. But uh, then we get this really great, essentially, couples therapy scene between Bucky and Sam. You know, the therapist wants to know what's really going on with them and why they can't stand each other, even though they've been working together, you know, and have common goals. What is going on between the two of them that they can't stand the sight of each other? And so we get a little bit of a comedic sequence as they have to do this soul gazing exercise and they sit uncomfortably close to each other. And then they start having a staring contest to establish dominance over the other, uh, which is hilarious. And then the therapist gets into the nitty gritty of, she asked Bucky directly, what aggravates you about Sam? And this is where he kind of lays it out. You know, the main conflict that they have with each other is, of course, over the shield. Bucky's like, Steve gave you that for a reason. That was his legacy. That was everything. And you just threw it away like it was nothing. And here he says one of the most telling lines, I think, of the whole show so far. He says, if you just threw it away like that, then maybe Cap was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, then maybe he was wrong about me. That, to me, just says the entirety of Bucky's problem with Sam right there, is that, you know, at the end of Endgame, we see him kind of look approvingly, and he even's like, come on, get over there, as Sam sees old Cap, and he's like, yeah, this is for him now. But now, as he's clearly had a change of heart, and he's like, look, maybe I was the guy that should have got the shield. You know, I should have got that handed down to me in, in Dad's will, as it were. You know, I should be the one to to take it up and carry on Steve's legacy. And he didn't. And the guy who did, did something that he didn't approve of. And so he's clearly dealing with a lot. And he's expressing it right there. This is probably my favorite scene of the whole show up to this point, honestly. As much fun as the action sequences have been to watch, this is something that I was just so engrossed by. Just seeing these two guys actually get a little bit deep with each other dudes don't like talking about stuff like this and especially these two super macho dudes who are always trying to one-up each other talking about stuff like this is something they don't want to do they just want to do their job fight crime fight bad guys and be done with it right but if they're going to end up working together they need to be on the same page and they had a bit of conflict in winter soldier i mean obviously winter soldier when bucky's the villain but mainly in civil war which is the only other time we really see them interact significantly when they're just annoying each other, but don't really hate each other. And then here, you can see it's just on a whole higher level. So yeah, it's just interesting to see them have to hash it out here. And like what you said, I think that line where Bucky says, maybe Steve was wrong about you, and if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. Knowing how much guilt he has to deal with, anything that reminds him of that or of his past must just be the most agonizing thing to have to live with. I I can't even imagine... Even though he had no control over it, just the guilt there is like, geez, anything that reminds him of that or brings it up again or hints that he's irredeemable must just cut so deep on a way that Sam just can't understand. But also Bucky did not have to deal with 
making the decision of giving the shield away. And so he will never be able to understand Sam's perspective through lived experience. And so I, I am curious as to how they're going to come to some kind of a resolution on this because they're both just so stuck in their ways. And I really legitimately see both of their sides in this. And that's something that's just, I think, is really well done and it's something that they're going to have to grapple with. And I, I fully expect them to work through it and get it figured out by the end of this series, um, especially when they have a common enemy and a common frenemy in <laughs> Dr. Walker. But yeah, I thought this scene was just so great. And that, that therapist is just a boss. She's just like, cut the crap. Like, <laughs> stop being child. Yeah, she's having none of it. It's just hilarious. The confidence it must take to do that with literal Avengers is like, dang. But I hope she's. Yes. I hope she's in a lot more scenes. I fully agree. She, the therapist, is. Uh, what she said. She mentioned that she's ex-military, so she's clearly not having any of their childish banter nonsense. Just makes for a great dynamic. And I agree. I hope she comes back for for more as well, because God knows all these superheroes are going to need copious amounts of therapy to deal with what they've gone through. So hopefully she gets lots of screen time in the future. Maybe she's the one that helped Banner and Hulk reconcile. I don't know. That happened off screen. <laughs> It's possible. You never know. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But she should be a professional superhero therapist because, like you said, they all need it. I make bank off that. Absolutely. Well, actually, superheroes can't pay you because they're apparently broke also. A tremendous so. amount of goodwill, Sam said. Right. Exactly. So that's actually pretty much the end of the therapy scene because uh, Sam comes back at Bucky and he's like, I don't expect you to ever understand what went into my decision but can't you just understand that i did what i thought was right and then he, sam actually gets up in a huff and ends the meeting basically and bucky follows shortly but that's basically the end of the uh, therapy scene here we get one of the final three scenes of the episode the final two are much shorter and essentially just teases for what's to come but this is one of the better uh, scenes of the episode as well they leave the station and walker and hoskins are waiting outside and here they try to, Walker tries to extend the olive branch and reach out to them so they can regroup and tackle these Flag Smashers together. You know, they obviously work better as a unit in his eyes instead of separately. You know, and Falcon gives some, some BS here. He's like, you know, you guys have all your governmental protocols and regulations to follow and we're basically free agents, so it doesn't make sense for us to work with you. And, you know, I mean, this is clearly just him coming up with another reason to say no to working with Walker. He still doesn't like him, and they just came out of an emotional scene of therapy, so he's just clearly not in the mood to deal with this right now. But again, Walker's making good points. Yeah, I don't quite get how Falcon doesn't have authorizations and stuff he has to go through. Like, his stuff is military, which is how they tracked him before, and the accords are still signed, so... Clearly they can do what they want, but I am still a little bit confused as to how that all works because he's working with the Air Force and the military and it, like is subject to them but doesn't have these things. I'm not quite sure how that all works out, but that's an aside. Yeah, again, it just seems more like a, a hand-wavy response to, to Walker to just say like, yeah, you know, here's reason X why we don't want to work with you. And if he was like, you know, we can worry about that, he probably would have come up with some other reason. So clearly, again, just having none of it. and. And here Walker kind of fires back. He's like, look, like if we're not going to work together, then I think he says exactly. He says, stay the hell out of my way. So we get the first sign there that he's kind of willing to just do whatever to get the job done, which, you know, may serve to be a, a useful trait in the future. But it also means that he is not going to stand for these guys if they're not going to help him. The, the mentality that they're kind of either with us or against us seems to be at the forefront of uh, John Walker's Captain America persona. 
you know, if you're not going to help me out, then at least don't interfere. Yeah. Make sure you're <laughs> not doing anything to trip me up. So, you know, he comes off as, as a bit of a dick, but he's got valid points. You know, if they're not going to help get out of the way. But comes off a little bit corny, I think, in in my opinion, because, you know, Bucky could probably fold him in half with his arm right there. Yeah, honestly, good. Uh, you know, he's obviously not going to. So, again, we'll, we'll see what character terms are in store for John Walker. But I think this is laying the groundwork for just basically, you know, a Captain America that has a little bit of an ego and will do anything to get the job done instead of worrying about others all the time and looking to do the right thing. So. Again, not necessarily an eel guy, but just a slightly warped Captain America, I think, is what we, we have coming in the next few episodes and remainder of the show. Yeah. Do you expect them to reconcile, like, Walker and those two guys? I hope so. I'd like to see Walker, at this point, I you know, obviously without knowing what's in store for the rest of the show, uh, it's hard to say, but I'd really like to see him kind of step into the U.S. agent role. Maybe give up the Captain America name by the end of the show and, and recognize that Sam is the one to fill that spot. But, you know, I hope that they can recognize that Walker could be a valuable team member. He starts working with them and maybe U.S. agent becomes a, a recurring character moving forward. I'd like to see that, um, especially because I think Marvel has a bad habit of throwing away characters after one movie. Mostly villains, but there's some some other characters that haven't made reappearances after their initial showing. And um, I'd like to just see more world building and more good characters get recurring times in the spotlight. So that's my opinion on it. But uh, I would be surprised if that's everything that happens, to be honest. Yeah, no, it'll be funny if we end up getting U.S. Agent and Captain America and in, in Black Widow coming up, we're getting the Red Guardian played by david harbour the dude from stranger things yep stranger things and he is basically the soviet captain america is what i understand him to be and so we could have three captain america-esque <laughs> characters all in the mcu which would be hilarious you know they're like we're gonna get rid of one captain america and have three but who, who knows we'll we'll see when, when we get there well maybe that's what it takes to fill the shoes of steve rogers is you gotta have apparently multiple super soldiers three not quite as good people yeah but <laughs> whatever apparently after the scene with them interacting and butting heads we just see the flag smashers loading up a plane of all the supplies that they had which it seems to be medicine of some kind maybe it's super soldier serum we're not totally sure and Carly gets a notification, or one of the people there gets a notification and warns her that there are people on the way, and it's the Power Brokers men, which is the first time we've heard of this name. This kind of made me think that the Power Broker might be the person who had texted her earlier on. I'm not totally sure if that's the case, but it seems as if there's this other group of people that's hunting them down, or at least trying to retrieve something that was stolen from them. And so I was like, maybe all of these vials all this medicine is something that they stole and now this other group that they stole from is coming after them maybe that's not what happened but that was kind of my takeaway from it and one guy offers to sacrifice himself and stays behind so they can get away and they get away it's a pretty quick scene but the big takeaway of it for me was okay there's this power broker who the heck is this person again is it somebody that we know that's just under an alias or is it a completely new character because just with the amount of new characters they're introducing, I'm like, dang, <laughs> there's a lot to keep up with. 
it is a lot to keep up but the world is expanding rapidly with uh, these shows they are giving marvel the opportunity to introduce a bunch of smaller characters with more screen time and flesh them out a little bit more than they would normally get in a two two and a half hour movie so i definitely appreciate that they're able to flesh out their world that way but it is definitely a lot to keep up but yeah one of the biggest questions after episode two is who is the power broker and i think one person we can actually eliminate off the list of potential suspects for that role is uh the person who makes an appearance in the final shot of the episode is uh baron zemo bucky and sam uh you know, recognize that he knows all of Hydra's secrets and he's got knowledge on the super soldier program. So they figure he might be somebody uh, worth talking to about this. So there's some very dramatic classical music and shot of a chessboard to show that he's just, you know, a master of playing people against each other. You know, the classic cliche shot there. James Bond villain type of thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, Magneto, Professor X playing chess at the end of every X-Men movie, stuff like that. Just to omen of the psychological warfare to come but he doesn't do anything it's just a shot of his face and we see him sitting in jail so just clearly teasing him for for next week i thought this episode could have easily been done without that i mean if you've been paying attention to any of the promotional material for the show at all you know that zemo's coming back and that wasn't necessarily a secret so i thought they could have done without the last i don't know minute or two of this episode but yeah, it seems like Zemo, given his history with hating super soldiers, would not be somebody, you know, like the power broker who would be wanting to use them for his own benefit and shape the world in his image. He had the opportunity to do that in Civil War and chose not to. So I think he's somebody that would fill kind of the anti-hero is not really the right word, but he's kind of a gray character in the show, I'm hoping. And he was gray even in Civil War, I believe. You know, he had a goal of ridding the world of, you know, superpowered beings because he saw the destruction that they caused. And we didn't want him to succeed because that meant losing our favorite characters, the heroes. But he he had valid concerns and obviously pretty messed up way of achieving his goals, which made him the antagonist. But, you know, it's not like he had a non-righteous or an outright evil goal from the jump. Again, like you had mentioned before, he's not just, oh, I want to kill the Avengers because they're the, the main characters or I want to rule the world and they're just the ones in the way. There's depth to his character. And so I hope that uh, with this show and if they, you know, depending on what happens, if he dies or if he's alive at the end of the show, he can be that sort of gray role again uh, where, you know, he may not be the most trustworthy guy. He's not a perfect Steve Rogers, morally good character. But he is willing to help the main characters and heroes when his interests align with theirs. And I think that's what we're about to see in the next couple episodes. We will see how it turns out. It's exciting to have him back, though, because it's been a while. I mean, it hasn't been a while, Thanos. But the amount of times that we've had a recurring villain has been very small, other than Loki and Thanos. So it's exciting for him to be back. Like you said, maybe he won't be in a full villain role. Or maybe he will have been pulling the strings the whole time, even from jail, and we'll find that out. I'm not quite sure. Exactly. I could be I could be dead wrong about this from the very jump. I, I could be so wrong about this, and he could be the power broker and the one behind everything the entire time. But I guess we'll have to see. We're, we'll tune in in a, a few days here, and we'll see uh, in episode three this, this week. But by the time this episode comes out, we will have information on the next one. So that's going to do it for episode two. Yeah, so we made it to the end. Episode two in the books. Thanks for everyone who stuck all the way to the end. And for those of you who didn't, you're not going to hear this. So thanks for listening to as much as you did. And yeah, feel free to reach out to us and 
drop any comments or questions that you have on what we talked about or anything else that we missed. I'm sure we missed a lot. There's a lot going on in these episodes and for as much as we talk, there's definitely stuff that we miss. So it's been fun talking about it and I cannot wait for the next episode, which will be out by the time this episode drops. So maybe some of what we said will sound silly by then, but either way, had a good time. Yeah. And come back next week for episode three. Peace. Peace.